0: this is do we like movies it's a podcast where two guys review individual movies sequels and occasional television shows in this show we talk about our experiences with them and we answer the question do we like this movie Welcome to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel.
1: And I'm your fast-talking 50s host, Howie.
0: And, okay, so this (laughs) week, you got your heist movie last week, which was us doing The Town. So I decided to make this as (laughs) unpleasant as possible.
1: I want you to know you have two heist movie choices because I sure as shit didn't choose to do Ocean's Eleven. Okay, but to
0: be fair, the two movies that I picked for this are movies that i've never seen before so i didn't know if they were going to be good or not <laughs> i literally just picked them because it's movies i haven't seen and i figured i could watch for the first time for this podcast
1: we could have watched Ant man we could have had fun today but no
0: didn't you complain last year about the amount of comic book movies we did shut
1: up or i'm a complicated <laughs> man god I always got some <laughs> stupid shit to say <laughs>
0: All right, so this is a movie done by one of my favorite film directors of all time, Stanley Kubrick. Of all the movies that could be possible, <laughs> this okay. is the first Stanley Kubrick movie that we are doing do we like movies. So, pour
1: yourself out a mega pint of Pinot Grigio. You take that beret and fasten that shit on super tight and you choke yourself out with that scarf because it's the return of pretentious movie
0: student angel, bitch. Alright, so the movies that I love from Stanley Kubrick and one of the reasons why he is one of my favorite directors The Shining Bull uh, Metal Jacket Mid No, I'm just kidding <laughs> this is a movie that a lot of people didn't like when it came out, I think every single time I watch it gets better. Eyes Wide Shut.
1: Mm-hmm. Eyes Wide Vid? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm
0: dying. No, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to find ways. And, I mean, he's done other ones. 2001 A Space Odyssey, Doctor Strange, Love. But those are the movies that you think of when you think of Stanley Kubrick. Mm-hmm. Very few times would anyone even mention The Killing. And I no. think... It's one of these, like, all right, I was looking at the IMDb trivia page and it talked about how this movie was a influence for Reservoir Dogs for Quentin Tarantino. And honestly, I think the reason why that makes sense to me is because Quentin Tarantino likes going to obscure genres and obscure movies uh, as like the source or the like inspiration for his movies.
1: Except he makes them better. Uh, yeah,
0: I probably. I, mean, I figured I wouldn't argue for this movie being great. I mean, it's an old movie from '56. It's a very short movie. It's an extremely low budget movie that didn't really make any money. But <laughs> I think I think because of Tarantino, people like to come back and and think of this movie as a lot better than it is. Because it's
1: one of those movies where it's like it's early, uh, it's early Kubrick. So obviously, you're not getting all the regular Kubrickisms. Like I'm pretty sure he didn't hold the same sway he did by the time he did The Shining. Um, but it's definitely it's interesting because it's it's the prototype stuff that we're gonna see later on, right?
0: Yes, um, I mean so... when we talk about something specifically like uh some of the sections in Ocean's Eleven and some of the sections in uh you know uh geez what was the other one we did a couple other ones well in Reservoir Dogs in something like Reservoir Dogs which you know what Mm -hmm. I think because it is a movie that you think of so highly we need to do that movie at some point this year because I legit have not seen that movie in over 10 years
1: yeah it's been a while and I think that I think this movie is more fitting with that um is more fitting with that comparison to Reservoir Dogs because both of them are essentially the aftermath of a botched heist, right?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: While one has a lot more of the of the, the plot, um, the plotting elements that kind of was big in like Take Your Ocean's Eleven, um, Reservoir Dogs just starts in the middle of said botched heist. <laughs> so we never exactly know what happened in that diamond store. Of course, like we hear stories and there's allusions to what have happened, as opposed to here where we see the entire um we see the entire heist um from conception to end um and essentially like you know we we see kind of the aftermath too which is not something you really uh the 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 aftermath of the actual like botched part of the of the heist so and then our characters have to deal with that and then yeah you see like some early kubrickisms like I really like, you know, you see some really interesting POV
0: shots. You see some lingering shots. Um, Part of the reason why I picked this is because to me, it looked like a true heist movie. Like this is a movie that's completely all about the heist. But funny enough, this movie has completely insulted my intelligence as well, because the movie is called The Killing. And I'm sitting here thinking I'm watching a heist movie. And we'll talk about it when we get to the end. But yeah. <laughs> I, only, I think only the heist oh, no, movies just, that we picked, outside of Ocean's Eleven, which I think is a true heist movie, a lot of these have not been heist movies. Like last year, last week we did like Boston crime drama, which is still a heist movie.
1: It's just heists weren't center stage like it was in Ocean's Eleven because they're not right.
0: pretentious, okay. <laughs> Uh, but you know what? The Ocean's Eleven, I think I see where a movie like this gives the inspiration for even that as well. Um, our main character in this, I, I mean, there's a lot, it is kind of an ensemble cast. But the main actor in this, I know him specifically from The Godfather. Uh, like 20 years later, he's in The Godfather. And he's like a much older, Yeah, not much older, but he's an older guy and he plays the police captain that uh breaks michael corleone's jaw (laughs) in that movie
1: i mean he looked old here
0: shit yeah i know no kidding it looked like it looked like he shot the godfather like five years after this but it actually was closer to 15
1: oh gotcha gotcha
0: but uh yeah it's to me this style a lot of it is filmed like i'm someone who watches a lot of old twilight zone episodes and the style of this is very much in in the style of that 50s series from the music to like the fact that everything's in black and white obviously like the
1: narration that takes you from scene
0: to scene okay what do you think of the narration
1: i hated it but like i understand that that was also like kind of the the what you did at the time like it was very common to have like a like an omniscient narrator that kind of uh, did things here. Um The original cut of this movie does not have narration. It. I would prefer it if it did it. Like, here's the thing. I, I feel d- it depends on on the style you're doing it, right? Like, this one felt very... Like, I was a huge fan of the narration here. Although I can see how it helped because you do have kind of, like, these weird timelines things going on.
0: That's where- why. The producers of this movie didn't trust audiences to follow what was going on. So they figured they needed some sort of omniscient narrator. It's one thing. Narration is not a problem. Like we just did the Batman like not long ago. And there are sections in that movie where Robert Pattinson does narration. And you can do narration in movies. Like I love the narration aspect of something like Terminator 2. I think it's really good there. I don't like the narration in something like Blade Runner this is one of those examples but at least in blade runner it's decker who's like telling like story right and it's like
1: character narration is totally different like i like hateful eight but i hate that quentin tarantino randomly cuts in like he's supposed to be reading like the the bylines that a director reads on a stage play you know
0: i would i mean obviously knowing what we know about tarantino I wouldn't be surprised if Tarantino did something like that, just specifically because this movie does that. (laughs)
1: Literally for him and like three other nerds. like (laughs) That would be it. Like, that's all that references for.
0: Uh, You know, it reminds me of this joke from Psych. You know, anyone who's watched that old USA uh, series, there was an episode where like the two main characters in that they go to what they think is a vampire nightclub. Dressed up as vampires, uh, w- one of them Sean shows up as like one of the characters from uh, Interview with the Vampire, and then uh, Gus shows up dressed <laughs> up as Blackula, and nobody understands who who Gus is supposed to be, and that's when Sean makes a joke. He goes, he goes, Gus. Nobody's watched Blackula except us and Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, I-, I definitely see where he does this. this makes rich. Uh, this is on Robert Ebert's Roger Roger Ebert's. Best movies uh list.
1: It was very easy <laughs> to impress, wasn't Do it? with
0: that what you will. All right. Let's go ahead and get, we can try to get <laughs> to talk about it, I guess.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's kind of hard. Like, it's actually a pretty quick movie. I mean, it has like what an hour and 20-minute runtime or so. like Okay.
0: That. Given the fact that we have so much trouble scheduling podcast episodes, didn't you appreciate the fact that the movie that we watched was very short? i mean <laughs> not really because i had to watch it on pluto
1: which they add 20 minutes to
0: commercials.
1: <laughs> don't get me wrong i'm glad i didn't have to rent it or anything like that but it's like yeah i mean granted seeing as how the last couple movies we did was fucking three hours, like we did the batman that's a three hour movie yeah and i think even the town was like a solid two hours and some change yes it was so So, yeah, it's nice to be in that hour and a half range, I guess. Every once in a while, just get in, get out.
0: All right. So this movie was, uh, I guess, last bit of trivia because I think we, you know, it's always interesting when these movies, you know, go this way. But, okay, Stanley Kubrick originally wanted to uh, film this movie in New York. Mm -hmm. The reason why it did not get done in New York, I originally thought it was budget because this is a very low budget movie that lost money when it came out. Mm-hmm. But the reason why is because no racetrack in the New York area would allow them to film a scene of the racetrack being robbed, which kind of makes sense. Like, it just, you know how we did town last week? Like, I was pretty shocked that we watched, like, a scene where, like, you know, where they really allowed us to see all the inside of Fenway Park. And maybe mm-hmm. it's just sets. Maybe that's not even what Fenway Park looks like in, the, in real life but I'm pretty certain that they shot on location for a good chunk of that movie. And that Mm. they actually showed like what someone robbing Fenway park would look like, (laughs) you know, like I'm sure like I can imagine why, you know, a location like that would be nervous about letting someone film there for that purpose. I think it's, I think
1: it's also important to point out that this is a time in U.S. history where bank robberies and, like, stick-up, like, you were actually a stick-up person as a, like, job occupation, like, this was the time where, like, you're maybe 20 years, 15, 20 years removed from Bonnie and Clyde and John Dillinger and like pretty boy Floyd and all those uh, all those famous bank robbers so it's actually not outside the realm of possibility for them to be like you know what let's not give people (laughs) ideas on how to rob actual racetracks (laughs)
0: All right. so the movie where it actually was ended up being filmed not that far away from us this was filmed at Bay Meadows in San Mateo
1: what? which I
0: I don't believe it's open at this point anymore I, I don't know. I'm not familiar with Bay Meadows. The The racetrack that I'm most that we're most familiar with in the East Bay is Golden Gate Fields because it's like between Berkeley and Oakland and it's like you always drive by it on the highway any single time that you're driving towards Oakland, at least from where we used to live. So, yeah, uh, I
1: think and I, I think that's why uh, Tamfran, like Tamfran Bay Meadows was, was like a thing yeah. back in the day. That's why that mall has that name. I remember. Yeah, um, I remember that. <laughs> yeah but, but okay yeah.
0: So this is a local movie this is again one of those like just not even trying but i was one mm-hmm. i was trying to place where this movie took place and i actually thought it was la it looked like la to me but yeah it turns mm-hmm. out it was actually you know a good chunk of it was shot in uh in in the peninsula which is like, new yeah. just so- just slightly south of san francisco
1: so the movie starts with our main character, but well, kind of main character, like you said, it's an ensemble cast. Right. Uh, and a lot of the times
0: I'm going to be forgetting a lot of these characters. <laughs> yeah, if we want to talk about it in like, you know, you ever seen those memes where it's just, explain it to me like it's Ocean's Eleven? Yeah. <laughs> like uh, Johnny Clay is basically Danny Ocean in this, right? Mm-hmm. Like he's the main character that it's all going to revolve around. Um, one of the things that he wants to do is he wants to uh, he wants to get the score So that he can run away with Mm -hmm. his wife, and this feels like a very like '50s '60s plot because if you go back and watch something like Hitchcock's Psycho in 1960s, like one of the reasons why Marion Crane ends up at the Bates Motel is because she runs away with, you know, a large sum of money and wants to Mm -hmm. meet her lover in Arizona so that they can get married. (laughs) It's just like he's like, yeah, I'm just gonna take this money and go get married. Like it's such a like. It's such a 50s era US like kind of plot to me.
1: It's almost like everyone was miserable because they were forced into like marrying some schlub. <laughs> no, I laughed when
0: I laughed when I checked uh, IMDB and I looked at the trivia section and, and it said director trademark for Stanley Kubrick, unhappy marriage. <laughs> <laughs> And you know, that that's fair because there's two unhappy marriages in this. I mean, there's the future unhappy marriage of uh, <laughs> Johnny of, and Faye. Yeah. And then there's the <laughs> like current unhappy marriage of uh, George <laughs> the Petey. Mega and his, unhappy one. Of George Petey and his wife Sherry. Yeah. Uh, Sherry's so, in this uh, movie a lot more than I thought.
1: So Sherry does not get a good <laughs> she does. she she kind of gets the same uh bum deal that uh that uh crap what was her name uh Blake Lively gets uh yeah you know got last week in, in the town like she is just there to be the absolute worst kind of person you can imagine
0: <laughs> it's so weird how like the one trend that has followed every decade of heist movie that we've done, the three different heist movies has been how uninteresting and flat and one-dimensional some of the women characters in that have been.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I'll argue I mean, that
1: Oceans Eight had to make a whole new cast of all women to make them interesting, right?
0: Yes, and then I would even argue that something like Oceans Eight does a—I don't even think it does a really good job of explaining. Of making those characters interesting, like *Oceans 8, mm. what, the pitfall that that movie has for me is it basically takes like it takes the most surface level thing you could look at and turns that into all that character's about. You know what I mean? Mm. Like if Aquafina is the is the is like the two timer, like or like the hustler, like that's what she is, and it's like okay, well here's the hacker and here's the this and here's the that, which is normal in a heist movie but the problem is that mm-hmm. as characters out the the, on, the only two of the characters in oceans 8 are really focused on and i feel like oceans well, 11 think... at least focus on some of the other characters in a way that uh, in the, in a way that oceans 8 did not and i don't know if and it's think... just like a fact that that they're women and people don't really know how to write for women characters i don't know <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. well that's the thing. I think you brought up a good point is that in Heist movies, they do have a habit of just typecasting and making that one character trait, that one thing about that character, right? Like if you're the tough mm-hmm. guy, you're the one that's always taking a punch. So you don't really have to say much. But then if you're the techie guy, you're the one that says something every once in a while. Like it's very it's very few and far between where you see in heist movies where they actually side characters, um, and really kind of give them a what's going on you know the one movie i can think of that did do that yeah man just saying <laughs> this episode's gonna be hobbies we should have done it instead <laughs> but anyway no but you're right though like there is something weird also it's like this weird trope where in a heist movie that's so male dominated you just leave f- women characters by the wayside or even worse is you literally just have them there to be the worst possible version of themselves they're just kind of there to screw over all the men characters
0: that said despite the fact that Sherry is is a very paper thin like her, her motives are paper thin I think she's one of the more interesting characters and one of the more interesting actors in this movie
1: I would, I would agree with that because a lot of <laughs> his characters are super like, just do your job, you fucking nerd. like
0: And it's like, just, it's a lot of generic, old, boring white men in this cast. So like, the fact that she's in this, and you know, and one of the reasons I think why she does stand out, and I haven't seen any movies that she's in, mm-hmm. but she was, well, what the actress, uh, I need to find out what her name is. The actress, Mary Windsor, one of the mm-hmm. things that he was most famous for was playing femme fatales in like noir movies and
1: oh, okay, that and,
0: funny, and Kubrick actually halted pro- like he delayed production of this movie specifically so that she can come and uh, take part in it mm-hmm
1: yeah, so so Johnny puts together this um, this crew that he's going to use to essentially s- to to steal two million dollars from uh, the racetrack. That includes a sharpshooter uh, by the name of Nicky Ar- Nicky Arcane, I think. Um, we got the corrupt police officer, the, the guy you were mentioning. He was the one you you mentioned that broke um,
0: uh, Corleone's jaw, right? no the guy who broke michael corleone's jaw is actually like the main character johnny oh okay okay yeah. <laughs> uh
1: he ends up hiring a or he ends up hiring one of the uh bartenders to help him out one of the uh um kind of like one of the uh window tellers uh to get access to the back room and he also hires a professional wrestler uh, to be able to kind of cause a distraction. Oh, and p- as people um,
0: who are, are fans of professional wrestling, when I, when, when I realized that this guy is a professional wrestler, man, he looks like those old school 50s, 60s wrestlers that you could just picture like in the middle of like a pool hall, like beating the shit out of guys in nothing but like a singlet in mm. black boots like
1: he was definitely looked like a blast from the past sort of guy where he just fought like a big fat guy where he's just like he just like grabs people and throws them and i was like i love this guy so essentially um so johnny's plan is uh very well calculated they have a uh, planned out to the t so essentially essentially it is that uh there's a convoluted way to get guns inside of the racetrack um through like a series of everyone kind of handing stuff off to each other the people that do work there meanwhile our uh wrestler was going to go in uh cause a disturbance that would force security and cops to kind of drag him out uh, during the distraction, uh, they were going to get access for Johnny so that he can get into the back rooms, where he would gain access to a mask and a shotgun, which would then let him. Um, that which would then uh, let him kind of uh, rob the money room. All the while, uh, they were going to use the with the help of the sharpshooter, who was going to shoot at one of the horses during the middle of the race. Uh, would buy them, would essentially buy him a window of time uh, to be able to pull off the heist. Um, that's the plan. Everyone knows their job. Uh, fairly easy out in the beginning of the of the of the movie. Once they separate, uh, George ends up going home where he uh, encounters his wife Sherry. And the entire time, uh, very antagonistic relationship between George and Sherry, where she kind of demeans him and belittles him. Um, But he promises her that, you know, he can provide for her and he can get her money, uh, which very much entices her. Um, And he and he essentially spills the beans on the on the entire operation to rob the racetrack. Yep. Unknown to George, Sherry's actually been uh, sleeping with a crook. I forget what the guy's name. Val. There we go. She's been sleeping with a man by the name of Val Cannon, who is also kind of a, a career criminal, and she tells him of the plan uh, that George, uh, that George and Johnny have. And while um, while Sherry would be completely happy with Val just uh, stealing, you know, ripping off um, George for his piece and then running away, he wants to steal the entire two million dollar take himself. So that puts two separate wheels in motion. We have uh, Johnny and the Gang having to pull off a heist, um, and then we have a second heist that's kind of depending on the outcome of the first heist. So, and it's, I think it's you know it's not a big deal. We don't really see that guy again for a while. So uh, Val's kind of like an afterthought for most of the movie. He uh, like said this movie's fairly quickly goes off without a hitch for the most part. Um, the day of the heist, uh, the way Angel was talking about, it, or, uh, there was kind of the way it's filmed is there's overlapping times and we follow uh certain characters or groups of characters uh, for a certain amount of timelines and then it kind of cuts back to other characters as they come to the uh, racetrack themselves, uh, all led by narration so that way can kind of people can keep it in line um which again not a huge fan of the narration but i do get it i get why you do need it especially you know i don't think there was too many movies that had like multiple uh, uh timelines going at once uh, and i can see how for for Oz at the time to try to keep a lot of that stuff it would be helpful to, to keep a lot of that stuff um in line for them uh, one of the things that doesn't go to plan though is that uh, when Nicky Arcane goes into a parking lot to try to get a shot at one of the horses, uh, he ends up pissing off one of the guards in a very racist interaction between the two. Oh man after he
0: manages to when this scene <laughs> comes up, like and I'm because I'm the one that suggested this movie on the podcast. So when this scene comes up where this black security guard goes up to goes up to Nikki. And he decides to use a racial slur, you know, against them. I was like, "Fuck!" I definitely look like an asshole for deciding to watch this movie because that's gross. And I guess, I guess, the purpose of it is, you know, it's supposed to be like, "Oh, well, that that's all the motive that he needs to be the guy that basically fucks everything up for them." And mm-hmm. um, I mean, obviously, and, and that's not the only thing that goes wrong. There's a lot of stuff that doesn't go as planned here. Uh, but it's just, yeah, it's definitely one of those things where, obviously, like as an older, not, as I get older, like I watch these older movies and I'm like, yeah, I mean, you know, the you older cringe movies, a little. Yeah, it's absolutely cringy and uh, definitely did not enjoy it.
1: <laughs> so after uh, Nikki gets the shot on, uh, gets shot on the horse, uh, he tries to make his escape but realizes he ran over a. horse horseshoe that the guard left for him which in a you know kind of like a poetic justice moment made him have to stop the car which gave the police officer coming up to talk to him enough time to draw his gun and uh like where he was uh from then uh after the horse gets shot uh the paid wrestler uh goes on a page and ends up kicking the shit out of like 12 people (laughs) Until so finally the police uh have to drag him away um uh, i'm trying to
0: think what else went wrong do you remember um the other thing that goes wrong in this well obviously there's the even before which is the plan that uh sherry and val had to to screw everyone over um mm-hmm. it's just Well, I mean, I know the day it's later after once. Yeah, the day of and then once the heist has taken place, that's when a lot mm, of the stuff starts going sideways. Yeah,
1: because for the most part, the actual heist goes off. Well, aside from Nikki getting killed, um, everything else goes as planned is once the once the diversion is made, uh, Johnny's able to get access to the back room. He goes into the employee area where he gets a clown mask. And uh gets a clown mask and a shotgun. Angel, did that remind you of The Dark Knight?
0: Absolutely. <laughs>
1: yes.
0: I would not be shocked. I would not be shocked if Chris <laughs> Nolan. Chris Nolan is someone who who models some of his work after Kubrick, and he's even been accused of being as cold and cerebral as Kubrick was. So I would not be surprised. You know, I hate that. that I said that as a joke, and you. <laughs> I, no, seriously like I mean it, it's 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 more of like obviously like all of these newer movies are referenced to older things But no clearly I think what Chris Nolan really picked was not a reference to the killing. It was specifically a reference to 60s Batman.
1: Yeah, specifically because of the mask but it's just I, I thought you're gonna be but like, the fact oh, that it's you. clown
0: but the fact that it is a clown mask could be a reference to the killing. I uh, hate you. Anyway,
1: <laughs> so yeah, uh, Johnny ends up going in, uh, gets the duffel bag full of the two million. Um, as the police get called, he ends up um, throwing the money out and making his escape out with the rest of the group. Uh, and everyone ends up um, kind of going their separate ways the they listen to the radio where it's revealed that uh no one was captured except for um and the only casualty was uh the shooter from her um and that is the possibility that the uh that the thieves ended up hiding the money within it with the intention of going back to recover however It is then revealed through kind of a flashback that Johnny ends up throwing the uh, duffel bag out the window to the arms of the waiting... to the waiting uh, police officer, corrupt officer who ends up recovering the money, putting it in the trunk of his quad car and drives away with it without it using any suspicion. So for all in all, it's a very ingenious plot. Like he got the right people. He got the right people with the right skills. The right, Most importantly, he didn't even get like people with the right skills. He got people that were just at the right place and had the right amount of like anonymity to be able to kind of get by a regular day.
0: yeah as much as as all heist movies if you're getting a collection of people that would normally have nothing to do with each other they may they may or may not actually get along it's just this like ragtag group of people that that you know you're like all right well well, i trust you enough to do this job with me and 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 johnny
1: even mentions that a lot of these guys won't know each other
0: um i think outside of the relationship that johnny seems to have with the wrestler I'm not sure how good his relationship is with all these other characters.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems like he doesn't really know them too much. He just knows that they can
0: get him when he needs to pull off the heist. Oh my god, they actually had places in cities where people would go to play chess and checkers. Doesn't that feel like something of a time gone by? a hundred percent like it feels i so couldn't weird. imagine like anywhere outside of a local community center mm-hmm. that would be completely like people playing chess, or like a park where it's people playing chess for sport pretty much uh so once we get back to the
1: to the hideout you have one of the police officers kind of or you have the police officer mentioning that if he does get caught The worst that will happen is he gets kind of a reprimand and he'll be off on a 30 day suspension Um, because essentially they would be he was trying to come up with a reason why he wouldn't be responding to the actual robbery. And because he's already kind of known for being a lush and a drunk, uh, he was just going to plan on playing that up so that way he can get his 30 day suspension. Um, So essentially everyone's just coming up with an alibi at this point. Uh, while everyone waits for Johnny, Johnny has been about, uh, at this point, he's running about 15 minutes late due to traffic leaving the uh, leaving the racetrack, but the police officer ended up leaving the money at uh, Johnny's hotel, uh, motel room, and Johnny was going to go recover it and then uh, be on his way to meet with the rest of the group. Um, so while Johnny's running late, it ends up making George very antsy. And he ends up uh, running to the kind of to the back room of the hideout when suddenly uh, what's his name again? Val. Val and uh, (laughs) some other nameless goon kind of kick in the door. Yeah, Val's like a full-on mobster
0: at this point.
1: (laughs) Oh, 100%. Like he went from being just like some punk kid, because that's what I thought he was. to like actual like criminal. I'm like, oh crap, he actually knows what he's doing.
0: Yeah, I literally thought of him as just, like, some random guy a la, you know, Marion's lover in Psycho, and yet when you see him with his buddy in the car, like, he straight up looks like a mobster.
1: They, yeah, like, they. so they end up, you know, getting inside of the apartment, they hold everyone at gunpoint, they take the guns uh, from the guys and start kind of demanding the money. At this point, George, <laughs> still holding his own gun, comes running out in a just, what I can only describe as an Inglorious Bastards-style, like, bar room shootout scene where everyone dies. and <laughs> a plane out. That was the where... dumbest scene
0: I've ever seen in my life, because literally it looked like he, like, was shot wildly and maybe would have gotten Val. Where, where, and why, and how did he did he possibly manage to shoot all of the other guys who were on his side in this crew? Because it wasn't like Val's guys were like had a Tommy gun and started mowing people down. Like most of those shots had to come from, you know, ha- it had to have come from not him, right? Like that doesn't make sense.
1: It didn't because they just started both of them started shooting wildly one dude like apparently goes flying like 20 feet across the room <laughs> <laughs> and somehow george doesn't get shot but everyone else ends up dying or, or ends up uh getting shot and dies there in the room I think george like, did get shot. shot
0: I think george did get shot because he does die like in doesn't oh no he doesn't he doesn't no 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 never mind He ends up getting captured. I I thought for some reason I thought he died in the room when he went to go back and see Sherry, but that's not the case. I'm tripping. Yeah, it's just it's it was really dumb and bizarre. So George escapes this like room where this mass murder occurs, and and then then we cut over to you know uh, Johnny collecting the duffel and he's gonna go meet up with the guys and apparently he's 15 minutes late because he was stuck in traffic. And uh, as he's arriving at this uh, place that they're all at, that's when you see George leaving, and he hops in a car, bloody, driving away, being followed by cops, and obviously Johnny's going to leave at that point.
1: Yeah, they, uh, there's a voiceover that says that they'd agreed that if uh, something happens, that whoever has the gun is, or whoever has the money is going to leave the rest of the group, not worry about their well-being, and that he'll try to make communication with them at some point um so it's like it's something that was understood but he ends up going and buying like a big bag to carry the money and like this giant suitcase rather than the duffel bag they stole the money in um george ends up driving back to his apartment where he confronts sherry about uh about telling val about their plan um and confronting him or confronting her about never loving him and which ends up culminate or culminates in him shooting her and then collapsing in their building. So he might have died. But by this point, he, he's he gone full of racer head. Like, <laughs> his hair <laughs> is crazy and all over the place.
0: Yeah, absolutely. He looked like something out of a David Lynch movie. Because he, like, yeah, it doesn't make sense that that he turned into some sort of mindless zombie. That, like, could barely get a few words out quietly. Well, <laughs> as that's he's what... like.
1: That's why I think you're right. He got shot, and I feel like the shell shock because he's a normal-ass yeah. dude, right? Like, yeah,
0: he looks like a nerdy accountant, and one of the reasons why his wife like absolutely does not fuck with him is because of the fact that he's such a geek. Fucking nerd.
1: <laughs> so he ends up killing her and collapses in their room. Meanwhile, Johnny and his wife, Faye, are headed over to the uh, airport, uh, where they're trying to board the... They're trying to board... I was about to say board the train. They're trying to board the flying train known as planes. <laughs> <laughs> what is this wicked train you have, good sir? <laughs> they decided to hop on the air train. <laughs> yeah, you know, the old air train. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they, they try to board the plane uh, and the stupid freaking airport employees like you have to check your bag he's like i don't want to check my bag he's like no sir you have to check your bag he goes what well, if i want to carry my bag with me Is that? A-? he goes well, well i'm an american citizen i can do whatever i want why do i need to wear a mask on this airplane
0: <laughs> wait a second i was like quietly <laughs> accepting what you were saying until i realized what was happening <laughs> until you realize
1: there might have been some bias in this scene <laughs> Well, yeah, like, so they have an argument with uh, the stupid airport employees who keep forcing him to check his bag, which he refuses. Then finally, um, they say, oh, well, we can insure your bag. Just tell us the contents. And he goes, it's just a bunch of stuff. All right. You can have it. I'll check it. <laughs> so I'm leaving his bag. It's so and- bizarre to watch
0: something like this in a post 9-11 world, which is all I've basically lived in as an adult
1: literally they just walk out towards the tarmac and are about to board the like the plane like it's the weirdest process and and uh, the, for some reason the movie introduces this weird side character late the rich lady with the dog who I'm like why the hell is this lady here like this is kind of dumb and it's like she's complaining that her dog's barking and it's cold outside and they just want to get on the plane and then it's like as the cart, like the 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 trolley that carries the uh all the <laughs> that carries all the baggages towards the uh towards the plane, like kind of rounds the corner to like pass by the passengers, the lady's dog goes running out into the tarmac, and the guy has to swerve to avoid hitting the dog, which then causes like the tram to kind of not flip and fall over, like but it causes it to like shake and Johnny's suitcase goes flying off and it like busts open once it hits the ground and all 2 million dollars in bills <laughs> end
0: up flying onto the tarmac and at that <laughs> moment John it's so funny how this is supposed to be like serious and it feels like something so comically like out of a sitcom for me
1: like it just needed some (laughs) 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 it was just so dumb that that's how they lost the money like the only thing that would have been dumber is if what I thought would happen was they actually get away and then they get to fucking Phoenix or wherever and they're like oh no actually we lost your uh, we lost your uh, your, uh, your suitcase and I'm like, but at least that's in the realm of possibility. <laughs> yeah, but here you get that shadow bunny just flying around. Johnny, like, completely disheartened. Um, Faye ends up grabbing him by the hand, pulling, pulling him away, trying to make their, they try to make their way out of the airport. Um, uh, when, when the employee, the 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 air, air employee tries to stop him again. But at this point, he gets a call. He hears about the money on the talk. He's able to kind of put it together that this is, uh this could be related to the uh, robbery from earlier in the day. He lets the, uh, who I'm assuming are undercover police officers. They're guys that uh yeah. Johnny saw on his way in. I guess they're just kind of posted up to see if anything weird happens when, if someone's trying to escape. Um. And then uh, as they start leaving, or as they go outside to try to hail for a cab, the two police officers come out, guns drawn, and Faye tries to convince Johnny to run, and Johnny, just completely accepting his situation, just says, what's the difference, as the end, like,
0: crawls over the the police officers as they draw their guns (laughs) what a bizarrely (laughs) abrupt ending like this feels like they literally ran out of money and couldn't (laughs) complete the movie because there's nothing dramatic about it like it's there's not even anything that's overacted about it it's literally him just resigning and giving up as good come out of the airport with big ass the N letters. The only thing <laughs> that would have made it more comical is if the it just would have said fiend instead. <laughs> it's so stupid
1: because even freaking Jeremy Renner in the town put up more of
0: <laughs> It's like... You, you know what, me, now that we reach the end of this, me re- reference, referencing any, like, serious heist movie with the ending of this is kind of embarrassing. <laughs> like it is so bad
1: how this movie it literally was like they only had one canister of
0: film and it
1: was like 10 minutes from (laughs) running out
0: no seriously (laughs) it literally reminded me of like creative writing in english class in high school which Mm -hmm. was like it was like me like trying to come up with a good story and i swear i was a really good short story writer in high school I would have mm-hmm. a really good beginning of a story, a really good ending of a story. I mean a really good mid <laughs> mid part of the story, but when the ending would come, I swear like I it it I would get writer's block or just didn't really know what to do. So the morning it was due, I would just <laughs> quickly write a closing paragraph <laughs> that barely made any sense and that's what the ending of this movie feels like. And then they die. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and then they then they hopped on the big sky bus and <laughs> flew away. No, I I don't mean to make fun of you because writing
1: good endings is hard. I mean it's the whole re- it's like why we have so much ammo to make fun of Stephen King for. <laughs> I am but not a
0: author, like- so <laughs> I did not grow up to be a writer, so that's fine. I don't mind my writing skills being made fun of
1: but this is like the room levels of bad. <laughs> like, like, there's nothing this character had done to tell me that he would just give up. Like, Johnny's the laziest criminal in all of, like, crime history. <laughs> There's just a lot of acquitted him. like, the moment things get hard, he's just like, well, fuck this, shouldn't have tried to begin with.
0: Yeah, like, like literally him and Faye, like, just walk away as the money blows into the air, like, <laughs> like, on the tarmac. And, like, he looks like even he is, like, experiencing some kind of shock at that point. <laughs> Oh, my uh, Oh my God. Who, who who could have done this? All right, Javi. Do you like the killing?
1: <laughs> you know what's funny? Just talking about how stupid it is has made me kind of like the ending.
0: <laughs> right? I was just like... No, the funny thing is almost the opposite had happened. I didn't think this movie was that bad and then we talked about it and I realized how fucking dumb it was. <laughs>
1: And like I was so against watching this movie, and I even texted you like I'm, I was pouting like a bitch that I had to
0: watch this movie. <laughs> yeah, you were absolutely <laughs> pouting like a bitch about it. <laughs> I did not
1: want to. I was like, this movie sucks. I want the record to show I did not want to watch this movie. And it's like now that we talked about it, I'm like, oh, this is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hey, it still the- isn't as bad as New Year's <laughs> Evil oh my god the, no that is that is a i think that's the bar that's never gonna be touched
0: <laughs> <That> was, <laughs> one day one day we are gonna watch a movie on this show that is gonna be worse than new year's evil and i can't wait to see which movie it is that is like is that putrid
1: like that movie would need us to forget the plot
0: in the middle of the episode then re- <laughs> Seriously, I think that's what made is just made that movie at all time worse. it's the fact that both of us like literally, literally forgot what the plot of the movie was halfway <laughs> during the episode. We're supposed to be talking, about
1: that. and um, then we had to stop the recording, rewatch half the movie to remember okay. the plot and then finish the yep that one was bad that was the only time this podcast ever felt like work the new year's evil episode (laughs) oh my god but anyway i laugh i had fun talking about this movie i was not a huge fan of this movie obviously i feel like it's 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 cool in the sense that you see a lot of proto prototype Cooper stuff but gone full crazy stanley yet so um expect like you know crazy hallways and but you see <laughs> like right you see kind of like the at least with that first person shot when they when george comes running out of the room <laughs> and then they shake the cam because he's just firing wildly.
0: <laughs> yeah so, it's I mean, definitely also, it's a it's a hard watch for
1: sure. It is. It's hard to get through. I mean, luckily the only thing that's saving this movie is that it's such a quick watch. Yeah. It's like, the oldest it movie that we've seen. More than 90 minutes. I'd 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 be I'd be complaining a whole lot more. Right. All right. <laughs> anyway. So me,
0: I definitely thought I would I thought I liked it and I guess I like it okay. I don't I don't think people need to go back and watch it. I think the stuff that's based on this is a lot better. Unless you're really obsessed with Stanley Kubrick like I was when I was like in film class, but I you know it's nice to have finally seen it, and I'm glad I finally got to like watch it when I had when you know I was required to say something about it, but definitely it is forgettable. It sits in that same Kubrick space with shit like Lolita that's like you know that people talk about or the early Kubrick that's just not interesting to me um. Mm-hmm. And
1: I just, yeah. Uh, I'll say this real quick: the first two thirds of this movie is actually good.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Like it is for it is a fifties crime movie, and for what it is, it's good. And I will even say this: that I actually like the actual plot of the or the actual heist taking off. I actually like that. I, I genuinely enjoyed that part. And if you get to the part where george kills sherry just turn off the movie and pretend that johnny and Faye got on a spaceship and went back to home. <laughs> seriously <laughs> because that will be a better ending than the fucking drizzling shit we got at the end
0: yeah definitely i i mean i enjoyed the conversation we had on it i'm glad we watched it but i will never go back to this movie again i don't know if i'd recommend it to anyone at all I probably recommend you listening to this episode because we've told you it in, like, the most condensed way possible. And, uh, yeah, I'll probably never come back to this again. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we'd like to thank you guys for joining us with this episode of the show. And, hey, here we are. We're kind of getting into the groove of recording regular episodes again. So it's getting kind of nice to settle into this a little bit. I think as we, like, inch closer to the summer, things are going to get a little bit easier and it won't be as tight as it's been lately. But, you know, we appreciate you guys for hanging in there with us uh, throughout the last uh, several months of the show. Please continue to interact with us on social media. Please leave us reviews on Apple uh, Podcasts because it helps, like, raise awareness for the show. And, uh, put, you know, give us reviews on whatever platform you're able to give us reviews on
1: and continue to give us suggestions we're listening i promise like totally we are totally listening to what you guys. No, have. seriously
0: i think we're kind <laughs> of settling into a groove right now where we've started watching you know quite a few movies that we haven't seen before and that's kind of nice mm-hmm. like i think i think we've i think last year especially mid to late last year we settled into a place where we were re-watching a lot of stuff that we've seen before so it's definitely nice to be in a point right now where we're watching things for the first time and I think it's, it's making for good conversation as well. So please, you know, send us ideas for what you'd like us to watch. And uh, yeah, hopefully we get the opportunity to do more stuff like this that we haven't seen before so we can gather our thoughts about it on the podcast.
1: You know, next one we're doing is Velocipaster. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure that one will be on the on the recommended list by somebody.
0: <laughs> yeah so i know we're gonna get to that one at some point because we've been talking about it since the advent of this show so yeah i've
1: been wanting it years years i tell you. <laughs> <laughs> uh so
0: thanks for joining us for this episode we'll talk to you guys next time oh later y'all